This is Stephen G. Fullwood, and this is my coda for the last episode focusing on the recent Florida law, Parental Rights and Education, dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill. Coda to the Coda. Travis and Seth are two of the most insightful and kind human beings I know, but I think their initial analysis and observations about the Parental Rights and Education Bill missed a larger point about the context and history of this kind of legislation. Part of me wanted to record this code immediately after we finished, but I needed a moment to breathe. Several thoughts twirled in my head, but the main one was the Trojan, ho- Trojan horse comment I made about the Florida law. I think that GOP lawmakers are exploiting parents' rights for their own gains. There's a mob gathering on the horizon, and there's always a mob gathering on the horizon, and they want everything. They always want everything. By framing the Don't Say Gay Bill as empowering to parents to be more involved in the kinds of things that children are learning at school, in this case, n- focusing on banning sexuality and specifically queerness, and what we're really talking about is trans kids and gender identification, the bill sounds relatively innocent. You as a parent want this kind of control. As a parent, I know that I did. But might I suggest this? A bill like this could have been written without mentioning queerness at all, or even sexuality. But consider the default, heterosexuality, littered throughout the lessons a child gets from kindergarten to the third grade. So why not ban talk of that as well? Because hegemony. When I was doing research for the episode and saw the history of these kinds of bills, what it does is it gives heteronormative cis people the false belief that they are keeping things normal, when in fact, it's never been normal like that. What's normal and only now becoming more evident is that people feel more comfortable speaking about their varied experiences, their non-heterosexual, non-white, non-gender conforming experiences. And it's this kind of shifting over the last 30 to 40 years that is impacting almost every aspect of our culture. And people don't like being reminded that they're not the point of reference. From the Connecticut Mirror. According to the Movement Advancement Project, which tracks LGBTQ plus policy throughout the country, 19% of the country lives in a state with an LGBTQ plus curriculum ban. Most are in states with laws that predates Florida's and Alabama's, more recently Alabama's. Still, most Americans are largely unaware of the fact that Florida is not the first state to pass such a law, advocates say. There's Logan Casey, who's a senior policy researcher and advisor at MAP, and said that these bills are relics of the AIDS crisis when panic about homosexuality dictated school curriculum. It also dates back to the infamous Save Our Children campaign led by activist Anita Bryant in the 1970s to overturn anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus people in Miami, Florida. What Casey said was that many of these laws are written intentionally, vaguely, so it can be applied even more broadly than the explicit letter of the law might suggest. He refers to laws written up until 2001. But again, if we're really concerned about sexuality being taught to children, why teach any child about any kind of sexuality or gender identification? What is age appropriate? Yes, it is up to the parent, but no. Because this bill isn't what it purports to be. It feels very much like legislators are shielding themselves with the anxiety of parents causing causing a moral panic, as if parents didn't have enough to worry about. Be clear, I want parents to have rights and I want want it to be as free of political chicanery as possible. I know, I know I'm a fool, but it's necessary to speak what what I think we need and what I think should happen because we need that kind of imagination, I believe. 
And to be honest with you, I seek to be less hyperbolic in my thinking and language. But I'm certain that these kinds of moves are fascist in their structure and thrust. And for me, it, this isn't a moral panic. This is being ready. The second thing that twirled in my head after the podcast, and I think probably even is more important than what I just talked about, was this notion of benign intent. I'm holding this in my heart and my head right now. When Travis said this to me on the podcast, I was knocked out in the best possible way. This is a challenge to assume the best of another human being that I instinctively may not trust, a human who, for at least from their actions in politics and often religious affiliation, never gave a shit about me or my mama. I've walked this mindful for what seems forever as a black queer man. But first, I was a boy and I needed to know where safety was and benign intent was rarely on my mind. Taking a breath and being able to rest was paramount and largely denied in a system that often used my racial identity, sexuality, and class as a point of reference, of difference, of alternate as other. My navigation systems were designed to avoid conflict with these kinds of people at any cost. Only much later in life did it occur to me that I can't live in fear and anxiety. It's just too hard. I learn, and I'm still learning through practice, that I can't operate from a place that the world's on fire, that I had to choose my battles, I had to be very clear about what was the threat, what was benign intent. I know that I am the kind of person who needs to love and be alive and fluid and flexible because my imagination needs to flourish. It kept me limber through the lean years. I need to be soft and able to move with the appreciation of being alive. And it got me to this point in my life. I'm 56. And it's a place where I continue to expand on my, my, expand my vision of life and living. And I invest in people and I invest in possibility. And if benign intent is a tool that I can use, I'm more than willing to use it. That's it. I'll see you next week. Hello, this is Seth Rodney, and I'm speaking to you on Sunday, May 1st. This is my note for the American Age podcast. Our last podcast session with Travis Stevens and I talking about the Florida quote-unquote don't say gay bill made me think of a couple of things that came up during the conversation. One of the things was my assertion that the moral panic, that the, and this was really in response to Travis saying that there's a kind of panic in the media, and you're misrepresenting the bill, um, it's, it's mischaracterizing the bill as, as, having, as uh, preventing uh, instructors, teaching personnel from talking about human sexuality at all, or uttering the word gay, or the words queer, or words that have to do with human sexuality. Uh, my response to Travis's argument was that there's moral panic on both sides, and that uh, I think that their parents, uh, maybe maybe particularly parents in Florida, though I don't really know how vocal 
and how upset um, uh, the parents who were supporters of this particular bill uh, were. It's not clear whether DeSantis is just using um, using these particular legislative moves, like the Don't Say Gay bill, like um, dissolving the uh, partnership that Florida has long had with the Disney Corporation, uh, the uh, moves around the mask mandates, etc. It's unclear whether DeSantis is doing this in order to uh, sort of shore up his credentials as a make America great again conservative uh, in vision of running for president in the next election cycle or the cycle after. But that's the speculation. That, that, that's a lot of what undergirds his very vocal, very energetic support of this bill and other bills that uh, are clearly in line with a very conservative agenda. That said, I just think that it made sense for me to look up some statistics. Now, this is a very cursory examination. I just used Google. I didn't do any in-depth research. But I wanted to get a sense of what the state of public instruction in elementary schools and middle schools are in terms of discussing human sexuality. I am putting middle schools in here, even though they're not really relevant to the uh, demographic uh, specified in the Florida bill. Because the Florida bill deals with children who are uh, in third grade or, or, or uh, between kindergarten and third grade, I should say. So younger, generally younger than six, I think six or younger. But I did put middle schools in there just to get a sort of sense of where, uh, where s educational sexuality is in sort of general in public schools. And what I found was that for uh, middle schools, according to this site called Admissionsly, and I, I saw the statistic repeated in other sites. So I don't think that this particular website, even though I'm not sure what admissions leads about, is an outlier. They, uh, on the site, one can find, well, I think I typed in a, a search in Google, something like, uh, what are the, what, what, how many schools, uh, how many middle schools, or how many, or what's the percentage of middle schools who teach human sexuality, public middle schools? Something like that. And what I found was that only 14% of middle schools, according to this site, Admissionsly and other sites uh, that came up in the search, only 14% of middle schools and 38% of high schools teach all the topics required in sex education, required by the Centers for Disease Control, I believe. And these are federal requirements. And... Um, 
Parents apparently can opt out of sex education for their kids in 36 states in the U.S. Um, so middle school, that's 14% is a very, very, very low percentage. And I'm wondering of those 14%, like how many of those schools are teaching a curriculum that parents who supported or pushed through this quote-unquote don't, don't say gay bill in Florida. Oh, and um, yeah, how many of these parents actually have children who are being subjected to some sort of education regarding human sexuality that they really object to? Now, more to the point where elementary schools are concerned, it, it, the picture's not quite as clear. So elementary would be grade six to, um, no, not grade, sorry, ages six to eight. Um, uh, what the Guttmacher Institute has indicated is that uh, in 1999, they gathered data from uh, 1,789 5th and 6th grade teachers as part of a national representative survey of 5,543 public school teachers in grades 5 through 12. Based on the responses of 617 5th and 6th grade teachers who said they teach sexuality education, analyses were carried out on the topics and skills sexuality education teachers taught. Um, I'm reading directly from the website. What, uh, let's just cut to the chase. What they found was, in general, that um, uh, teaching of all topics is less prevalent at these grades than teachers think it should be. Um, the topics are puberty, HIV, NH transmission, and issues such as how alcohols and, and drugs affect behavior and how to stick with a decision. Gaps between what teachers say they are teaching and teachers' recommendations for what should be taught and by what grade are especially large for such topics as sexual abuse, sexual orientation, abortion, birth control, and condom use for STD prevention. A substantial proportion of teachers recommend that these topics be taught at grade 6 or earlier. More than half, 57% of 5th and 6th grade sexuality education teachers cover the topic of abstinence from intercourse. 17% as the only option for protection against pregnancy and STDs, and 40% as the best alternative or one option for such protection. So um, I, I, I just don't get the sense that there's a lot of teachers out there, a lot of schools who are pushing a curriculum on um, third-grade students to get them to identify as straight or bisexual or queer uh, or even offering them that as a sort of menu of potential, a part of, of human sexuality. I just don't, it's hard to say. Like how many schools are actually even threatening in, in terms of, I suppose that's the way that people who supported this bill would see it like threatening to teach their kids these things. I just don't understand it. But I do think that America, like many other places uh, in the world, do 
does the the mainstream culture does really love a good conflagration they like to burn the witches at the stake and it feels like uh like uh and DeSantis just loves to fan the flames um the particular bonfire he had he helped to set because he thinks that that kind of support will carry him through to higher office I I really dislike um, Ron DeSantis. Um, I also dislike this uh, this, uh, this kind of moral panic that just really ends up shutting down actual real thinking. And that's my note. Hope to hear you or hear from you um, about the podcast. We should be back next week and continuing the conversation. Thank you for listening. This is uh, C. Travis Webb, editor of The American Age, and this is my note on last week's podcast on ostensibly the what are unfortunately called the uh, the Florida Don't Say Gay Bill and there are various other uh, characterizations of bills that attempt to grapple with transgender issues in the 21st century. Um, and, um, you know, I brought this topic up. It was um, something that had been bothering me for a while is the way this has been covered in legacy media outlets. And, um, you know, great conversation. I thought Seth had a very fair point about the Florida legislation, which is that it, um, you know, it effectively raises the temperature in the room and raises the possibility of conflict between motivated parent groups and public schools. Um, and I think that's a fair concern. Um, I wanted to remark on two things uh, from last week's conversation. One, uh, I made a mistake in, uh, one that I, I really try to avoid, this is not going to be a very big deal to the listeners, but it's one that I really try and avoid, um, which is um, essentializing Western philosophical traditions and juxtaposing them to, you know, Eastern philosophical traditions or non-Western philosophical traditions. And I, I made the claim about the, the mind-body duality problem, you know, kind of the famous... Cartesian split between the mind and body, that there is a duality there, that we are a mind and we are a body separately. Um, and I claim this is considered one of the fundamental er errors of Western philosophy. Uh, it's a fundamental error, but not just of Western philosophy. This is something that is characteristic of most post-axial traditions, meaning philosophies that have emerged out of what is sometimes called the axial age. Uh, but in my own research, I, I call axiological, which meaning, meaning that there is a, a persistence uh, in thinking that there are two worlds. You see this in Buddhism, you see this in Hinduism, you see this in Christianity, you see this in Islam. Um, it is there as well in Judaism, slightly different though. Um, and uh, it's honestly a, a significant part of the American civic religion. Um, you can see it in the persistence 
in anti-abortion sentiments, not to say that one should be for or against abortion, but the idea that one is born with a pristine uh, soul um, and that, you know, the baby must be preserved and protected because it's an innocent. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the politics and there and, you know, social welfare and, and caring for the baby once it comes into the world is, is a much lower priority. Often for conservatives, it reveals a kind of Gnostic uh, mind body or do a soul body, you know, duality, mind and soul being interchangeable, meaning insubstantial. Um and so I made that error. It's not just a Western error. This is this is an aspect of the modern mind, um, and it's one I'm quite suspicious of because you know we are we are bodies. I don't mean that that is the extent of us, uh, but these are not inextricable things. Uh, our bodies are ourselves. It it it's we you know the way we think about things uh, is in through embodied cognition. Small point, probably no one cared, probably not something that other people noticed, but it was something that immediately afterwards I was like, ah, I try not to do that um, because I just think it perpetuates like these kind of silly Oprah simplifications about East and West and, and whatnot. And then the second thing that I wanted to really emphasize is that, you know, we, there are things that I end up disagreeing with my co-hosts on or just media coverage in general or, or uh, takes that I see, you know, in the, in the wider intellectual world. Um, and I get very animated by them. And Seth had asked, you know, thought maybe this was some kind of sort of straw manning of like, you know, maybe personal relationships that I have. Um, and it's really, it's rarely the case. And I try to point out when it, when that is the case, uh, some things really just um, uh, motivate me and um, really uh, impassion me uh, out of just concern, kind of free-floating objective concern for what the implications are. And this is one of them. Um, I really think we're moving into very harmful and dangerous territory when we start advocating for the medicalization and manipulation of natural biological processes for adolescents and kids, like, like really dicey stuff. Um, and you know, the numbers on this are not great. They're not supportive of, of this more aggressive approach to, uh, seeking medical intervention in, you know, to prevent puberty. Um, you know, basically what we're talking about is, is gender dysphoria, which is, you know, is not super uncommon with adolescents and in most boys, at least I, I haven't read research around uh, girls on this, but at least the research that I've read on boys that experience gender dysphoria uh, tend to be, either biphilic or androphilic, meaning you know, this is the, the psychological term for love of men or males, as opposed to gynophilic, which is love of, of females. Um, many boys that experience gender dysphoria at transitional periods end up being gay. They end up being androphilic or biphilic, like the meaning, the, the meaning that their sexuality is not heteronormative. And so 
what we're doing is we're essentially taking an incredibly confusing period uh, period of someone's life, confusing for literally everyone, even if you end up being the whitest white dude that likes porn and pole dancing, puberty is still super confusing for you, right? It's there, there is no one that that is not, there is no, there is no one that that is not a confusing time for. Um, and so add on top of that, if you have atypical um, or, you know, kind of on the tail end of, of, of human behaviors and you're kind of working your way through that and trying to figure out where you're going to land as an adult. And we start introducing things like puberty blockers or encouraging, um, you know, surgery is an option for some of these. I don't know that I don't want to go too far with it. I don't know that surgery is being performed on minors. Um, but certainly puberty blockers are, and to think that you can just shut off your, your, the normal process of your enzymes and hormones that produce a, a post puberty adult and not, there not be any consequences to that is nuts. Like just fucking crazy. Like that is a crazy, crazy thought. People are worried about GMO strawberries and you think that you can turn off a kid's puberty process and there are not going to be medical ramifications. That's nuts, nuts. And so, I mean, you can hear in my voice, like it starts to upset. Like, I don't know anyone really closely. I mean, I mentioned a couple of that. I've had this conversation a couple of times and I have, but these are not close people I'm close with. So there's nothing on the line for me in this other than just an actual deep concern for strangers that are going through difficult times and that difficulty and confusion is being hijacked by people with what I would consider a a zealot's agenda. Whatever that zealotry may be, it takes in various shapes and sizes. You know, secular zealots are very similar to Christian zealots. They just have different terms. Uh, but they want the same thing, which is they want the physical world to, in fact, bend to our ideological will, and it never will. We will always lose that struggle, and we should have some proportion and some humility about that. Uh, thanks very much for listening to me for a few minutes, and I uh, look forward to talking to you guys next week. Bye-bye.